Welcome to another episode of the brand called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful people from around the world. Today it is my unique privilege to welcome a very very accomplished cardiothoracic surgeon from Bangalore, Dr. S.V. Sri Krishna. Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. Satosh. Dr. Sri Krishna is the director of cardiothoracic training at the Narayana Hridalaya. He's a highly decorated and awarded cardiothoracic surgeon, not just in India, but around the whole world. So, sir, tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or career? The first, I suppose, is clearing an All India entrance exam mm -hmm. and getting admission to the MBBS course at the prestigious St. John's Medical College. The second would be probably topping the Bombay University MCH exam, qualifying mm -hmm. as a cardiothoracic surgeon and joining my alma mater, St. John's, as a consultant. Okay. And the third would be attaining national and international recognition. I was the region represent, representing India in the European Society of Thoracic Surgeons for five years okay. and, and also was awarded the honorary fellowship at the uh, oldest surgical college in the world, that is the Royal College of Surgeons, uh, Edinburgh. Wow. Amazing. So this was... Uh, Things. What, what an amazing journey you had, sir. But let's talk a little bit about the cardiac and the cardiothoracic problems that we have in our country. How rampant are these in our country? India needs about 2 million cardiac surgeries every year. Okay. And, and we are only doing about 1.5 lakhs across the country. Wow. Most, of, most of the centers are concentrated in the major cities. Mm -hmm. We need to improve this by getting more centers in the second tier and third tier towns and cities. Okay. However, I would like to dwell on the scope of thoracic surgery in our country, mm -hmm. which is less known and less spoken about. TB and lung cancers are the major problems in our country. Okay. India accounts for almost quarter of the cases around the world, mm -hmm. amounting to 24 to 26 lakhs of cases, and almost 4 lakhs of these uh, patients die. We need to take care of these situations. Mm -hmm. And the many of these patients who require surgical management Mm -hmm. are unable to access the required facilities because of lack of awareness on, this, on the part of the patient and deficiencies in expertise in thoracic surgery and of course lack of finances. So also lung cancer is grossly underdiagnosed in our country and patients often come to us at a very late stage wow. beyond the curative stage. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, to just to give you an idea, in Tata Memorial Center in Mumbai, the, the largest cancer center in the country, they see about 2,000 cases of lung cancer mm -hmm. and only 150 of them are operable. Amazing. It's a dismal state of affairs. Okay. So, 
you know, you mentioned right, you know, right just now that out of two million or twenty lakh cases, we're barely doing one and a half lakh cases. You know, similarly, the same problems you spoke about in terms of the the, the thoracic challenges and lung cancer. What does India do to be able to build up capacity? Well, we we are having a lot of training centers, and we are producing cardiac surgeons. Uh, but as I said earlier, they are all concentrated in the major cities. Correct. And this needs to go on to the peripheries. Mm-hmm. And government has to probably equip the peripheral hospitals a lot more mm-hmm. and help uh, open up uh, avenues for the newly qualified surgeons. The problem of lung cancer, I should say, is most of the time cough or other problems in the chest are neglected by the patients. Mm. The physician, he gives a course of antibiotic, two Mm. or three courses of antibiotic, does not uh, improve. And then he is given uh, anti-tuberculous treatment for about three months and still does not improve. And then people will talk about, think about cancer. By that time, it is too late. And at least, as you've said very rightly, people in urban India have access. Yes. But people in rural India, I mean, you know, you mentioned that we need to be able to get more doctors out there, but this seems to be a chicken or egg situation. What comes first? Do we send doctors to more difficult areas or do we set up infrastructure in those uh, difficult areas? This seems to be a dilemma all the time. Well, yes, it is true because most of the healthcare facilities in the country are provided by the private sector. Correct. And India is spending only about 1% of the GDP on healthcare. Mm. And this has to change. And uh, for example, in NHS, 97% of the citizens are covered by their insurance. Correct. so we need to improve on that so that people are not only aware and the facilities are available they can all they also should be afforded mm. oh, very that, well. is, that is important very well said so so talking a little bit about your own uh, journey you have you're a very successful surgeon and now you're actually more in administration and i'm sure you're doing your surgeries my first question to you is how do you prepare yourself before a very, very difficult or challenging surgery? Well, you need to have a game plan, mm-hmm. as in anything. You, you need to you need to plan what is uh, going, what you are uh, going to do. For that, you need to have the necessary information by mm-hmm. way of investigations mm-hmm. to exactly pinpoint the surgery what is available and how it is i have i have a three questions uh, to be answered i have a dictum is surgery necessary for this patient okay then the next question is is the sur- is the patient fit for this surgery okay and the third thing would be is is my surgery going to improve his lifestyle i see so what already no if you're going to make him worse, there's no point in doing the surgery. Mm-hmm. And if the answer to all these questions, even one of them is no, mm-hmm. you have no business in doing the surgery. Amazing. So this is what I have practiced all my life. Okay. 
this was instilled to me by my teachers mm -hmm. and so i have continued doing that okay and my next question is that you know i've spoken to many many surgeons and i've got many people who are in my family who are senior doctors and surgeons when i asked them what would you prefer to do do you want to get into the administration of running your department or you, would you rather be a surgeon or you know like you ask an academician would you like to teach or would you like to run a run a run a college how has your journey been from actually being a surgeon to running a big hospital well this is like asking a pilot to do administration he Correct. would like like to fly a plane yeah early as a surgeon i would always like to do my surgery correct so there is a there's a saying which says you know people who can operate operate mm -hmm. people who cannot operate teach okay people who cannot do either of them administer amazing <laughs> amazing well i think you being very modest given the kind of recognition you probably one of the few people who can do all three and are mm -hmm. doing all three <laughs> uh, circumstances changes i know and you have to train your uh, next generation and give them the due uh, recognition correct yeah so you know my next question to you sir is that you know you mentioned very briefly that a lot of the medical facilities are now in private hands right hospital owners are investing very very large sums of money in building the assets that are needed and there seems to be now this constant conflict between patients and their relatives and hospital administration very often we have i have i've heard and i've seen in in large hospitals in and around our country that the person says bring the money first and then we'll operate and i've asked some doctors does this not go against your hippocratic oath what are your thoughts sir on this well as i mentioned uh about 1% of the gdp is uh, of the whole country is 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 uh, being uh, spent on the healthcare by the government mm -hmm. this has to be true mm -hmm. unless this proves and better facilities are gone given to the major government uh, run hospitals mm -hmm. the the healthcare the majority of the healthcare is still being run by the private sector especially those requiring high end equipment and expertise see unfortunately most corporate hospitals now as you rightly said are being run by the management and hr personnel correct the doctor patient relationship is is sort of uh, forgotten correct they are only answerable to the stakeholders or the investors and looking at the account books and the return on investment mm -hmm. doctors unfortunately doctors nurses and the patients have become incidental commodities in a in a hospital amazing so this has to change and it is difficult because once they are this thing they, this opens up a vicious cycle they are giving targets to the patient uh, doctors to perform so many procedures or investigations mm. which may be necessary or may not be necessary this mm. this opens up ethical and unethical issues absolutely and th this is the state of affairs at the present uh, situation mm. yes some of our, our generation people 
are not wanting to tow this line, but it is difficult for the younger generation. Correct. And you know, you're absolutely right because you know when I founded this chain of pharmacies called Guardian, which became India's second largest chain, we used to run all the pharmacies in the UP government medical colleges. And I have been to those medical colleges, and the facilities are absolutely abysmal. So I guess government really has to step up and increase that one percent to something significantly higher. Yeah, as you said, you know, the cost of treatment has become enormously high. The patients want a fast and cheap treatment, mm. which may not be effective. Mm. Those opting for cheap and effective treatment mm -hmm. is not necessarily fast. Mm -hmm. And patients requiring fast and effective treatment cannot be cheap. Mm. Very true. Well said. So the, the, this is the problem. Mm -hmm. and, and this can be catered only by the private sector at the moment. 80% of the patients who are attending these private hospitals, mm -hmm. about half of them have to borrow money or sell their assets to undergo the treatment and this has to come come down see, in, in the uk 97 percent of the citizens are covered by the nhs correct we have no such insurance scheme mm. although mm. in the southern states like karnataka andhra or tamil nadu mm. we have a micro insurance system mm -hmm. scheme called the SSVD, which was masterminded by Dr. Devi Shetty. Mm. And this has considerably reduced the costs. Amazing. Amazing. And yet, you know, you know Prime Minister spoke... I must also, I must also say that yes. the present government has brought in the Aishman Bharat scheme, mm. which is a step towards this. Okay. But we are still a long way to reach every common man. Correct. So, that is true. That is true. But, you know, the Prime Minister has often said that there is a need to get more doctors. You know, I was reading the papers about the, the Ayurvedic doctors being allowed to practice and uh, pharmacists being allowed to dispense medicines, etc., etc. There are a lot of attendant risks, obviously. What are your thoughts on increasing the number? Because overnight, you, we cannot train the thousands and millions of doctors that are needed. Yeah, this, this is a similar situation like asking an air hostess or a flight steward to Correct. fly. Correct. You, we, we spend, to be, for example, to become a cardiothoracic surgeon, we spend about 10 to 12 years of training before we are able to do surgical. Mm -hmm. If you bring an Ayurvedic uh, medical personnel, give him six months training and, and send him into the theaters, mm -hmm. God help what happens to the patient. Absolutely. See, the bottom line, I think, here lies in the cost of medical education and reservations. Mm -hmm. Even after 73 years of independence, we are still having reservations and uh, admitting mediocre students to the professional. Very true. I'm not against uplifting the uh, underprivileged uh, society, mm -hmm. but give them the basic free education. But when they come to professional courses and postgraduate courses, merit has to be taken into consideration. Mm. And this is what is happening. Many a time, patient, uh, students uh, resort to joining private medical colleges, which charge huge capitation fees. Wow. And they are 
to repay, repay this in quick time. Mm. That is the problem. So unless we start doing the the uh, increasing the and increasing medical colleges in the private sector is not going to be uh, a solution because it is unaffordable. Mm. The only answer is to abolish reservations, get merit merit uh, people into the professional courses, especially those which are dealing with life and death. Mm. Very well said, and you know. because we are such a large country and because so much of our country is still not really covered well i often read that there is you know like like the answer to all our problems is telemedicine and i know that we have been talking of telemedicine for at least 30 years when i was in aerospace we used to talk about it we still talking about it what are your thoughts on telemedicine sir and reaching out to difficult areas Yeah, telemedicine can be a double-edged sword. Correct. Telemedicine can offer quick and expert opinions in real time in in specialties like radiology or pathology mm. into remote areas without getting the necessary infrastructure into those remote areas. Okay. It could be also particularly useful in detecting medical emergencies and giving prompt treatment. however the problem lies in the challenge is in these remote places connectivity is a problem we ourselves have a lot of problem in major cities with the internet connectivity and in the remote areas there is not uh, there is no electricity let alone internet facilities mm. for the and you also need many a time i'm sure all of us have gone through you need it personal expertise always this is not available correct the other thing that can happen is patients especially the less literate mm. may not wholly comprehend what the doctor is telling them mm. and there may be compliance issues okay this may open up legal concerns mm. the other in the lighter vein maybe i should say that the only time the telemedicine will help is that the irate relatives cannot bash up the doctor <laughs> very true very true and that is that is becoming a big challenge i see you yes. know for for doctors it's becoming a big challenge so so one more question for you on medicine before i ask you a few questions for you personally and this you know, you are now teaching and you you know you've been you're imparting your knowledge to a lot of young people my question to you is that are the young people really willing to commit themselves to such a long period of education that is needed to be able to become a doctor yes that is unfortunately it is difficult but a career in medicine will always be and always be necessary though not profitable correct as long as mankind exists correct and is prone to there we are prone to excesses in diet mm. lifestyle hereditary influences mm. as well as speed alcohol and drugs mm. and religious and political uh, extremism mm. predisposes all these people to trauma and violence correct so medicine is not going to die however the young aspirants mm. 
must be passionate in taking this course mm. they have to forego the cushy life of their peers in other fields forego their the holidays and the less working hours in the other fields mm-hmm. and uh, forego their travel and uh, partying and spend a lot of time with the patients correct a career in medicine is tough wherein you have to be thinking on your feet mm-hmm. take split second decisions and uh, especially in the matters of life and death mm-hmm. so i would uh, d- definitely say that this is a difficult field at the moment mm-hmm. it's not as lucrative as it used to be mm-hmm. however people who are passionate and who have got this uh, this thing are still available mm-hmm. and they should take this wonderful so sir i've got time for now two questions for you uh, left my first question is that for a person who has achieved so much who must have cured thousands and thousands of people who is now giving back so much to the profession what does success mean to dr shri krishna the question success is a relative term correct as told by lord shri krishna in the gita right success is measured is a measure decided by others okay. satisfaction is a measure decided by you so my motto derived from my daughter's school mm-hmm. is to do well all that you do okay excellent this is if you feel that you have done well to the best of your ability mm-hmm. compare yourself to yourself if you have improved from what you were yesterday mm-hmm. it is success fantastic and therefore a follow up question to you is that you you know and i i always admire doctors because every day when they are operating they are motivating themselves and i've seen doctors after the surgery come back really tired because of the stress my question is where do you draw your inspiration from to begin i think my grandfather dr guru who himself was a surgeon and well respected mm-hmm. maybe that sort of set the uh, so the seed in me to follow his footsteps mm-hmm. the second was my general surgery teacher okay. wing commander sarkar mm-hmm. now he's air marshal sarkar retired mm-hmm. he exemplified three d's determination dedication and discipline okay which helped me throughout my career and i'm good. Mm-hmm. the next person who who inspired me was dr jerry maskarnes a pioneer thoracic surgeon in karnataka mm-hmm. who taught me the nuances of thoracic surgery and to achieve good results with limited resources that we had at that time of course now the equipment and other things are much better but with what little resources he had he did a great job okay he also taught me to be compassionate to my patient mm-hmm. and treat every patient as if he is my own kit and kin we all make mistakes right but if you if with this attitude that you are treating your own kit and kin 
95% of the time you will take the right decision mm. and that is will, will give you a clear conscience and lastly maybe mr hadley brown okay. who from whom i learned coronary bypass in the uk he was a perfectionist he would insist that every stitch that you take should be perfect he, his dictum was think twice measure twice and cut once amazing amazing and the the one book maybe if i can quote sure which which gave me the inspiration right from my undergraduate days was jonathan livingston seagull right that's a brilliant book and the message was strive for excellence correct sir thank you so much it has been such an honor and a pleasure speaking to you i'm sure the thousands and thousands of people who will watch us talking and listen to us on our podcasts will learn an incredible amount from you thank you very much thanks for this opportunity thank you thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube facebook instagram and twitter just search for the brand called you